Jesus is coming again. He's coming soon. And we want to be ready. And we can be ready. Because this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And so, what is this mysterious sea of prayer? Does anyone really love me? Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people are asking the question, does anyone care? Does the Lord love me enough to give me a razor? <laughs> what about that? A simple little thing like a razor? Does God love me enough to give me a thousand dollars? Is he interested in that? Or is he looking the other way? Does God love me enough to give me $6,000? How about that? That's even better, isn't it? You wouldn't object to that, would you? Uh, does he love me enough to give me 10,000 books? <laughs> does he love me enough to give me his son? Does he? Does he love me enough to give me eternal life? Does he? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Does he love me enough to give me Jesus Christ his son, to give his son away and to give me a sinner, a vile, unworthy sinner, eternal life, to dwell with him through the ceaseless ages of eternity, does he? Do I love him enough to trust him? This is the sea of prayer. The prayer of the upright is his delight, and it says that Delight thyself also in the Lord. He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Do I love him enough to trust him? Do I love him enough to trust him before I see or feel the answer? That is the sea of prayer. Do I love him enough to trust him who gave his son to die on Calvary for me? and has offered me free of charge eternal life, do I love him enough to trust him for all that he's promised before I get the answer? This is the mysterious sea. Let me give you a few examples of the mysterious sea of prayer. And it is just because I know that he loves me and he keeps his word as he's promised. Can I trust him whose son hung on Calvary, the gift of heaven. He poured out all heaven in the gift of Jesus. Will I trust him enough? Can I look to Calvary and doubt him? The ABCs of prayer, A is ask, Matthew 7, 7. It's Jesus, A. The B of prayer is believe that you receive, Mark eleven twenty four. Jesus gave it. The C of prayer is Jesus taught us in John eleven forty one 41 and other places is to thank him that we have received on the basis of his immutable, eternal, impeccable word, 
before we have any sign as far as sight or feeling is concerned. Notice of just two or three examples of the mysterious sea of prayer which God is delighted with. We'll find, first of all, over in Jericho. This is found in Joshua, the sixth chapter, and the, 20, the second verse and the seventh verse. In Joshua chapter 6, verses 2 and 7, we're told in verse 2, God said to Joshua, I have given Jericho into your hands. That's God's promise. I have given Jericho, that great wall city with walls going up to heaven. The ten spies said there's no possibility in this world that you can ever in any way overcome it. God said, I've given it into your hands, a free gift. It is my promise. Now, the sea of prayer is, before we have any sign other than God's immutable, eternal, impeccable word, we say, yes, it is ours. And you'll notice how God intended that they would show the sea of prayer. Verse 7, it says, you'll march around Jericho every day, the seventh day, seven times, and then you'll give a, a long blast with a horn, and you'll shout before the walls fall, not after. The sea of prayer means don't wait until you have received. Thank God on the basis of his promise, because his promise contains the gift. Jesus said in Luke 8, 11, the seed is the word of God. God's word is seed. Every apple seed contains an apple tree. Every promise of God contains the gift that he promises. He said, now I want you to take my promise, and I want you to act on it, just as though you'd already received it and could see it. If you believe that I love you enough to do these things for you, I want you to show your trust and your love for me by believing me. Don't go around worrying and whining and complaining. Reach up and take hold of my immutable, eternal, never-dying word and love. And that's what they did. They marched around. That was their act of faith before they got the answer. They gave the long blast before they got the answer. They did the things that most armies would do after they received the answer. They did it before. You try that in claiming God's promises, beloved, and you can find a whole new dimension in life. You know, my friends, God does not want Christians to go around being worry warts. You know, I think one of the saddest things is to see a 150-pound worry wart. Years ago, they told us how you could remove warts. Do you know how you can remove worry warts? By believing that God loves us. Calvary proclaims it. Calvary challenges you and me to declare that God is love. He loves us with an everlasting love, with loving kindness he's drawn us. That's the God of Calvary. The next illustration or example is that of Gideon. And it's found in Judges. The Lord came to Gideon, and in Judges 6, 14, he said, I have given the Midianites in your hand. I've done it. And in the 18th verse, he told them what they were to do before they had any outward evidence. They were to take pitchers. They were to take lamps. They were to take trumpets. They were to sound those trumpets before they had any external sign. They were to break those pitchers and reveal those lamps before they had any external sign whatsoever. And they were to shout victory 
as the army usually would shout after they've received it. You see, this communication with God is different from that with any other human being. Since we know that Jesus Christ, the, the, the very central gift and all heaven personified, is the gift of Calvary, we're never to doubt God's love. And when God says, I want you to declare that you have received because the gift is in the promise before we have any external sign, that's the mysterious sea of prayer. And that is the most, one of the most wonderful testimonies that you and I can give to the unbelieving world. Let's go around telling people, I know God lives. I know God loves me. I know God cares. I have millions of evidences every day that he does. God forbid that there be whining, worry Christians. What do you say? Let's ask God to forgive us. For he that believeth not God hath made him a liar, 1 John 5, 10. The third example is the woman of the issue of blood. The story is found in Mark, the fifth chapter. This woman in that great mass and multitude and horde that were, were pressing against Jesus on all sides, in the 28th verse, he said, If I may but, but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. Isn't that beautiful? She didn't say, I would like to, I wish I could. She didn't go into the doubt orbit by saying, I've tried one doctor after another. Every time I've made any effort, I've, it's resulted in failure. You know, anybody can talk doubt. It takes no sense and it takes no faith and it takes no religion to talk doubt. But it takes a simple trust in the Christ of Calvary to talk trust. If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. And her touch was a touch of faith. That's the mysterious sea of prayer. Not I may be, not I'd like to be, I shall be. And Jesus turned around as recorded in the 34th verse, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace, lady. My friends, this is the religion of Jesus Christ. You can believe all the theory of the Bible. You can accept all of its doctrines in the letter. But unless we have a simple trust in Jesus Christ, who so loved the world that he gave himself for you and me, unless we have that confidence, all of our theory, my friends, is of no avail whatsoever. Amen? Don't trust in a theory. Don't go around just saying, I believe the truth. Truth? What is truth? Jesus Christ is truth. What he's done for you and me is truth. What he's doing tonight for us is truth. He's interceding for you and me. He's beating back the accusations of Satan against you and me. Let's talk faith. Let's let the world know we trust him. What do you say? That's what he wants us to do. All right. Now, some concrete experiences. The razor. Does he love me enough to give me a razor? You know, sometimes people have the impression that they must tell some very great, unusual, million-dollar story to prove God's love. I want to share with you an experience of a razor. <clears throat> Some of you can see it. Most of you can. It's too small. It's just one of these little 25-cent razors. <laughs> That's all. My wife and I were conducting a series of meetings up at the Minneapolis camp meeting in June of this year. Uh, one day, a man walked, uh, was walking along, and I was, of course, speaking, holding a series there. And he said, he said, I, 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 I turned on my electric razor and I broke it. 
and I can't shave. I said, I'll loan you mine. So I went in and brought my razor out and loaned it to him. I said, you can bring it back. And he never brought it back. I don't know whether he even knew who I was or not, I was speaking every day. I don't know, maybe it's lodged someplace up in some <laughs> building up in Minnesota. I don't know why. But when I realized that he hadn't, I said, well, I think I still better shave. So I went down to a store there, and I got myself a 25-cent razor. You know, you get two for 50 cents. <laughs> some places you get two for 39. And I got two razors. <laughs> and I've gotten razors like that before. They're supposed to give you three very good shaves, you know. That was in June. I've used the razor ever since. And I cannot understand and I cannot explain why it seems to be just as sharp today as it was in June. Now, don't you think that I ought to thank the Lord that he's interested in the little things of life? What do you say? I've had many razors like this. I've never been able to use one more than three days. I thought, well, maybe the Lord was saying, my son, Glenn Coon, you know, over in Luke 7.38, I've said, if you give, it'll be given to you, good measure. Pressed together, running over, will men press into your bosom? <laughs> and so I'm going to do something unusual. I just want you to know my son, Glenn Coon, and I want others that come in contact with you to know that I love you in the little things of life. A friend of ours heard about it, and she said, uh, when, uh, would you like, what, would you, wouldn't you like, a, wouldn't you like an electric razor? And I wrote back, I said, no, my little 25-cent razor is doing very nicely <laughs> so far. <laughs> and uh, my birthday was coming around. She wrote again. She said, wouldn't you really like an electric razor? And I wrote back, no, I, I'm all fed up with electric razors. Uh, I found one that counts. It weighs about a third of an ounce. You know, I don't know, I've never weighed it. But I said, no, I'm perfectly satisfied. This has uh, served me for these many weeks. Don't know. And you know what happened? When my birthday came around, out through the mails, you've guessed it, came an electric razor. <laughs> the Lord says, given to be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, <laughs> shaken together, running over will men press into your bosom. Uh, there's one lesson that I'm getting from it beside uh, the one I just shared, and that's this. I believe the Lord wants you and me to be givers instead of just getters, don't you? You know, there are two philosophies in life. One philosophy is do everything to help everybody you can. The other philosophy is get all you can get. Do you know the most miserable people in this world are people who are always hoping that somebody will make them happy? If you and I are not happy, let's go out and do our best to make somebody else happy. Let's see some downcast soul and bring him joy and peace. And the, and the result will be peace and happiness and ecstasy in the Lord. <clears throat> Try it. Oh, we found, you know, every neurotic I've ever seen so far is completely self-centered. Jesus wants us to be other-centered and Christ-centered. I don't know how long this will last but I, I just know it's lasted so long, and I believe that the Lord is pleased to have us let people know that God is interested in the minutia of life. Amen? He is. So have two now. <laughs> so when this uh, fails, if it does, <laughs> it reminded me of Israel. It said their shoes didn't wear out. I said, Lord, I, I know their shoes didn't wear out, but you didn't say the razors wouldn't. But so far, so wonderful. Thank you. Uh, 
Is God interested in a uh, in $1,000? <laughs> I want to share with you another experience this summer. <clears throat> My wife and I felt that we ought to enter upon a new experience in our own life of being more unselfish than ever before. Nothing to boast of, nothing we'd even plan to mention. But we had occasion on several occasions this summer to help people uh, unselfishly. And when we needed money, we turned the thing to them. And then, horrors. As I was cleaning out some of my land with a friend, neighbor of mine, I told him where to clean down the street while I was away a little bit down the creek. And when I came back, I found that he had done a nice job of cleaning out beautifully some of my neighbor's land at my expense. And he really did a nice job. We did the neighbor a real favor. But when the neighbor heard about it, he became very angry. He was so angry. In fact, I had called him by long distance before he even came, and I said, we got over on your land, and we'll, we'll make any restitution. I knew really he'd owe me because I'd improve his land very much. When he came, he became very angry. He talked about uh, taking me to court for a criminal activity. <laughs> what a crime to clean up a man's land. And then he said, but at any rate, you'll have to give me $400 for the damage you've done. The land was worth probably 150 <laughs> Just the land, the whole thing, body boots and baggage. <laughs> and I said, now, Lord, what would you do? What would you do? So I went back home and made a check on borrowed money. <laughs> Did you ever pay anybody on borrowed money? I made him a check on borrowed money of $450. And I wrote him a letter. I said, the extra $50 is to show our neighborliness. And if you're ever in trouble, be free to let us know. Live right across the creek from us. Be free to let us know. We want to do anything we can to give you all the happiness possible. And you know, I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. I hadn't planned to ever mention it to anybody, but it's not wrong. And I just, I just sensed that the Lord's Spirit was pleased. But then we were pretty low financially, and we didn't know what to do hardly. So we said, Lord... Not because we did it, but because you love us. We have every reason in the world to know when we look to Calvary that Jesus Christ is interested. And when I look to the little razor, Lord, I have every reason to know that you're interested in every small detail of our lives. Would you mind just kind of helping us out now? Because this is a little extra. We had a little house that when we leave in the, in the winter, all the neighbors in that particular area... Uh, leave their homes because it's about 5,000 feet elevation. They leave their homes. And uh, most of them pay someone to guard their homes while they're away. And this little house that we had was full of furniture. Wasn't worth very much, but worth enough so we didn't want to have it stolen. And I said, dear Lord, I don't know what to do about that because I said this particular place is right on the highway. All the thief has to do is just back his truck right up there and he can empty the place in a matter of a few moments and be gone while whoever's watching is over at another house. So, Lord, will you please come to our rescue? The Lord has given promises. Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your need. I asked God to do it. I believed he would do it. And what's the mysterious sea of prayer? Thank you, Lord, you've taken care of it. But remember, while God takes 
care of it. And while God answers our prayer, never forget this, Isaiah 42, 16, I will bring the blind by way they knew not. So he'll answer our prayers in the better way. And if he doesn't answer your prayer, beloved, beloved, in the way you expect, he'll answer in a better way if you don't distrust. So I said, it might be, Lord, that we just have to sell it. I hate to do it, but uh, it could be emptied while we're gone. So, Lord, it seems to be the only thing, because even if a man takes care of it, he's away in two hours. We had uh, some dear friends of ours right next to us, right in the middle of the summer. They were gone for two hours, and somebody came in in a matter of moments, had taken hundreds of dollars from their place right near us. I said, Lord, it only takes a few moments. But, Lord, you'll come to our rescue. I believe it. Thank you, I have received. That's the sea of prayer. Now remember that the neighbors around there were paying people to care for their place. The day before my wife and I left, a young man came from 30 miles away and he gave us $1,000 to rent that place during the winter. I said, do you realize what kind of winters we have? He said, yes, that's why I want to be here. Do you know how deep the snow was last winter? Yes, he said, I don't want to be here in the summer. I want to come up in the winter. Do you know there are times you never can get here? That's right, when I can't get here, I'll stay back. I've got a room back in my city too, at the university where I'm going. So I'll, I'll play between the two. I said, but you know, we, do you really understand what kind of winters we have? He said, I fully understand. This is what I want. And you know, I opened my mouth. But I'd opened my mouth a little before that. I, uh, Psalm 81.10 says, open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. You know, little Robin does that. You know what it represents? I'm helpless and I'm hungry. And if that little Robin didn't open its mouth, it wouldn't get anything. No matter how much the mother flutters over it, our Heavenly Father is watching, eager to come to our rescue. But he said, how can I do it when you don't open your mouth? Open your mouth wide and say, Lord, you love me. You love me with an everlasting love. Calvary proclaims your love. Nobody in the universe can doubt your love. Open your mouth wide so, Lord, you're going to do exceeding abundantly above all that I ask or think, Ephesians 3.20. And he said, I'll fill it. That was the last thing on earth I ever expected would happen. Isn't God good? Does God love us? He loves us with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, he's, he's, he's chosen us. Uh, what about uh, number three, I met God? Back 31 years ago, many of you have heard the story of how my wife and I discovered, if you permit that expression, the ABCs of prayer from Jesus. In a deep Gethsemane experience, you may remember how we, we had purchased a farm hoping to get some exercise, for we were very old back there 31 years ago, myself at least. And I knew I better get exercise or perish, and so that's why I got the place. And I was getting the exercise, and you remember how, how I needed to raise $6,000, and there was no way to raise it. And you remember we used the ABCs of prayer as Jesus taught us. And you remember how we went down the city, guided, not knowing which way to turn, looking for $6,000. Did you ever do that? Parked our car, put the nickel in the parking meter, saw there our atheistic attorney, <laughs> offices, went upstairs. He was the president of a bank. Asked him where I could borrow $6,000 for three months, and he loaned it without any endorser at all. And later when I asked the bank, that is, I mean, he sent us the bank who did it. 
And I asked the bank man why they loaned me that. And they said, well, <laughs> this is unusual. They said, we never loan any preacher any money unless five people who are property owners endorse his note, <laughs> sign his note. Then I knew for surety how God hears and answers. But after we got this place, we are moved. <laughs> about a year later, we are moved 6,000 miles away, and we couldn't sell it. Now what about these ABCs of prayer? A year passed, we couldn't sell it. And we're having to, to we really ate out of a corn popper <laughs> in order to pay our debts. You know I believe Christians should pay their debts, don't you? And if we can't get to the man on time, if he has to come to us, it's too bad. Let's say, if we can't quite make it, let's hurry to him and say, I'm in a little trouble. We'll try to do it this way. Never wait for somebody to come to a Christian. You can tell whether a man's a Christian, whether he pays his debts. I mean, if he doesn't pay his debts, you know he needs a, a deeper dip in the fountain. And the second year passed, couldn't sell the place. Sacrificing every penny that we could get a hold of in order to pay on the place. Third year passed, couldn't do it. Fourth year. And then I said, oh, I know. The ABCs of prayer has a C, and the C is to thank God that you have received before you have any external evidence. I said, that's the way it was at Jericho. That's the way it was with Gideon and his army. That's the way it was with Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles chapter 20. That's the way it was with Paul and Silas. They sang before the prison, the prisoners were released, released. And this is what God expects of his children. We're to show such a simple trust in him. And we say, Lord, I trust you. How could I doubt Calvary love? How could I doubt creative power? You combine creation power and Calvary love, and you have Jesus Christ. And I said, Lord, as a token, as an evidence that I know that you're still there, I'm going to write a book. And in this book, I'm going to give experience after experience, personal experiences of how you've come to my rescue in days gone by. And in the back of the book, I'm going to put a poem that you gave me this farm and what a wonderful miracle it is all the time that I'm not even able to sell it. This is going to be my token of the sea of prayer. I'm going to do what they did at Jericho. I'm going to do what Gideon's men did. I'm going to do what Jehoshaphat's men did. I'm going to do what the woman of the issue of blood did. I'm going to do what Paul and Silas did. I'm going to do what God's children have done down through the ages. They're saying, Lord, I trust you. You promised it. You'll never break your word. And more than that, your word is creative. It is seed. And like an apple seed contains an apple tree, your word contains the gift. And I have the gift in embryo form. And if I will supply the faith and the courage and the trust in you, I will see it. But until I see it, I believe it. So we did the book, I Met God. But I couldn't write. How are you going to write a book when you can't write? That little book was written almost on my knees. I said, Lord, I can't write. And since I don't know how to write, I'm asking you to give me wisdom how to write. I said, what I'm going to do first, I'm going to... I'm going to do a 15-minute study, or really a story of my experience at prayer meeting each Wednesday night at the Madison College where I was pastor. I'll take 15 minutes and tell the story, then I'll put a Bible in front, open to Matthew 7, 7, and I'll invite anyone who has a problem, spiritual or otherwise, who needs a solution to come right up after my 15-minute experience and put his hand right on God's promise 
Not that there's anything magic in doing it. It's just a simple childlike gesture. And we will together, <clears throat> those who can't touch the Bible will touch somebody else's shoulder. So we'll have a chain of fellowship. <clears throat> you know what happened? We had conversions at prayer meeting. Men and women who are worry warts became trusters. Oh, how the, need, the world needs to know that they're Christians that trust. That can relax. You know that's what faith is? Faith is trusting God. Relaxing in his love. And then I said, after I do that, I'll keep working over these manuscripts and put it in a book. We had revivals on Wednesday night at prayer meeting. The whole prayer meeting was only 30 minutes. We don't believe in Magellan prayers and Magellan prayer meetings and Magellan testimonies. You know, you know what they are? You've heard people get up in public and pray a prayer about 15 minutes. That's a Magellan prayer. Magellan's supposed to be the first man to sail around the world. He didn't get around. And a Magellan prayer is, is a prayer that a person offers in public while everybody else is praying he'll put into port somewhere. And a Magellan testimony is when people go on and drone on and on and on while people praying that he'll stop. I believe I've prayed scores of prayer, prayers when I've heard other people praying publicly a Magellan prayer. I've said, Lord, please, please help them to close up. We're all tired out. And you know, in a matter of five minutes, the Lord answered my prayer. <laughs> of course, I wouldn't have objected if he'd answered it in 30 seconds. But he had the human will to deal with you see the man said I will keep on droning so we had a 30 minute prayer meeting Holy Spirit was poured out you know when you make contact with the power of God the contact immediately has the power in private pray as long as you want to and as energetically as you want to intercessory prayer in private praise the Lord but in public let's not wear out the saints That little book was finally done. It's entitled, I Met God. <laughs> and then followed many other books. We've done about 20 in all. And each one of them was done with one thing in mind, and that was to help people to learn to trust Jesus. We didn't try to be intellectual because we couldn't to begin with. <laughs> so why try to be something you aren't? We just wanted men and women to know that God still lives, that Calvary still shines. That heavenly love is still warm and that God is interested in us personally, individually. He gave me the razor, <laughs> gave me the thousand dollars when I needed it so desperately, gave me the books that we could share with others. There's no thought of trying to make money on them or the tapes, either one. It was just to share. And if somebody were to come along and say, I think you made some mistakes in your books, I'd say, that's not news. I discovered 700 mistakes in one of my books after it's done. <laughs> A comma was out of place. <laughs> Semicolon where it didn't belong. <laughs> and it was where worse should be. 700 mistakes and got 700 letters from people saying, oh, I found the Lord. He's so precious. I know he loves me. And not one of them said a thing about the 700 mistakes. Isn't the Lord good? Isn't he wonderful? God wants you and me to let the world know that we found what we wanted when we found the Lord. But you know, the greatest proof 
the greatest proof of God's love is Calvary. And if there's some individual here at this hour to whom Satan is speaking and saying, you've gone too far into sin, don't listen to Satan. You know, I've thought many, many times <clears throat> about Calvary, haven't you? You know why Jesus was placed in the middle of the two thieves, don't you? That was religious sanctimony. The religious people of that day were indicating that he was worse than either one of the thieves. That's no news. Everybody here, I think, knows that. But you know, that wasn't all. <clears throat> On each side of him was a thief. You know what a thief is? A thief is a person who steals things. And he is two-faced. He gives two pictures. He tries to give only one picture, that of an honest man, for he never admits that he's a thief. But that isn't all. Did you know that those thieves on either side of Jesus revealed outstanding sanctimony? Those thieves who are guilty of death were pointing to Jesus with the rest of the people and jeering him and saying, if you're what you claim to be, save yourself and us. They were full of sanctimony. And the one thief heard Christ's response. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And this was not the beginning of his experience with Christ. This was the closing of his experience on this world. He had traced Christ's ministry. He'd heard much about it. How much he'd seen, I don't know. Probably he was there in the trials and saw Christ's marvelous response. No retaliation whatsoever. Only loving people. <clears throat> praying for them. <clears throat> Finally, that wonderful love of Jesus got through to him. The Holy Spirit did his work, and that thief was convinced that Jesus Christ was coming into his kingdom someday, and that Jesus Christ loved him. And so he turns to Jesus. And in effect, he said, <laughs> he said, folks, all of you who are listening, <clears throat> this other thief and I and he turned the thief and said it too. He said, you and I are guilty. That possibly was the very first time in all his life that he admitted he could have been completely sanctimonious up to that point. A sanctimonious thief. It's enough for Jesus to forgive a thief. But what about a sanctimonious thief who has been reviling him, jeering him, ridiculing him? casting anathemas in his teeth at Jesus Christ. Would Jesus save that kind of a person? And Jesus turns his head as far as he can. He said, look, today, when all seems lost, the idea, when everything seems to be spelled defeat, I'm going to make you a promise. When I come into my kingdom, you're going to be with me. Marvelous love of God. Wonderful love. This evening, my friend, has the devil been 
bothering you and telling you that God does not forgive, that his mercy is not great enough, don't listen. Wouldn't it be a good thing tonight for every one of us who's here to make a new commitment to the Lord? I do it often, don't you? In fact, I do it every day. And I like to do it in every service. I make it a practice to pray for the Holy Spirit in every service, before every study, every sermon, every consultation, praying for the Holy Spirit, for he has the power. He gives the power. He gives the victory. He gives the new life, the new experience. He'll flood our souls with love, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Oh, don't we want to understand the love of God? Don't we want our hearts to go out to him in love? Look to Calvary and remember that the one that cried out to the thief, you're going to be with me in paradise, is saying to you and me, if we'll trust God, if we'll not rely on feeling, if we'll not wait until we have some special sense or sensation or emotion, but purely on the basis of believing Jesus Christ, we say, Lord, I give you my life in a new commitment. And if there's one here this evening who's never before accepted Jesus as your Savior, he says, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in. Would you do it? If you were once his child and slipped away and lost the assurance, and you came in tonight without that assurance, won't you make a new commitment and say, Lord, I will accept your assurance on the basis of your promised word that you've forgiven me and cleansed me and you've said, I give you eternal life. I forgive you freely, though your sins are scarlet. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.